Listen, Dad, are mobile suits more important to you than human beings? <sighs> it almost looks like this mobile suit is shaking in terror. It's a mobile suit! Amaro, is that you inside that mobile suit? Let's just see. Let's test the reaction time of your brand new mobile suit. You alone are responsible for the mobile suit now. Is that understood? These are the days when you wish your bed was already made. It's just another mobile suit. Monday. Wish it was Sunday. That's Matt. Tomorrow Ray. I don't have to run It's just another mobile suit. Monday. Amaro Ray Mobile suit In war, to keep the upper hand, you have to think two or three moves ahead of the enemy Hey guys, welcome back to another Mobile-tastic episode of Fanholes Mobile Suit Mondays. Hey, what's up, guys? This is Derek, Derek WC. I'm going to be one of your hosts tonight. And joining me tonight are two, count them, two of my fellow Mobile Suit Gundam enthusiasts. Why don't you guys give a shout-out and let everybody know who's here tonight? <coughs> it's Mike. <laughs> hey, this is Justin. Zig Zion. Yay. So... As evidenced by Mike's awesome interpretation of Captain Paolo Cassius, we are again discussing the original Mobile Suit Gundam. And we're actually here to discuss Episode 4, Escape from Luna 2. Now, this episode was originally released in Japan April 28th in the year 1979. And just for those who are keeping tabs at home, when we finally get up to that fateful date in America on Cartoon Network on the English dub, it was aired July 26th, 2001. So that's where we are in terms of chronology for U.S. and Japanese viewers. Basically, of course, we're set up with the same intro that we've had the last couple episodes where it sets up the one-year war and gives us the background on it and everything and we have the title card which says escape from luna 2 and of course we're seeing a docking bay on luna 2 where a ship called the madagascar is docking and of course in the docking bay white base is already there and bright is trying to convince the soldiers at Luna 2 to accept the refugees from Side 7, and then we are introduced to the Commandant of Luna 2, a gentleman named Joaquin, and he denies them per Earth Federation orders, and advises the refugees that most of them will be sent to Earth instead, and of course the refugees are kind of upset, they, they seem to want to go back to Side 7, and I was kind of wondering, is there really much of a side to go back to? Like, do you guys have any thoughts on that? Did that occur to you, or you just figured they would rebuild? I, I hadn't really thought about that, but, like, I think... I think, it, at least in my mind, like, this is the first, like, inkling I had, like, that the Federation was, like, not such a great place, or, like, they were not such, you know, great people to, like, be aligned with, because they're kind of, like, acting like jerks, like, right here, and they, you know, they seem to be pretty, like, ruled by bureaucrats and whatnot. Maybe, maybe Side 7, like, sucks so bad that, like, an airless, lifeless vacuum is preferable. 
<laughs> you know, like I, I, it's or I meant Earth. I meant Earth. Yeah, sucks Earth, so bad. Earth, yeah. Earth sucks so bad that that the lifeless vacuum is better. That the it's interesting because I think there there seems to be a lot of interpretations of Commandant Joaquin, like that. You know, there, there. You know, some can look at it flatly and kind of go, "Oh, this guy's a jerk." But I mean, he, he, he does appear in a lot of like video games and follow-ups and stuff like that. And I, I would say he's not one of those guys that's probably not all bad. I mean, he's probably, you know, a, a little more, depending on the interpretation you get out of it. I mean, there, there could be some flat-out, you know, he's a jerk face because, of course. You know, at this point, Amaro actually looks like he's going to make sort of a violent move on him. You know, he's kind of like, what the fuck is this shit? And Frabo, like, kind of, like, stops him from, like, doing any anything violent and stuff like that. And and then and then at this point, it almost goes all, you know, Marvel Civil War, where Bright and the other white race crew are separated from the refugees. And they're basically held at gunpoint. And Joaquin pretty much tells them they're going to be placed under a military court-martial because civilians and cadets are the ones running White Base and Gundam, which are considered AAA classified technology, which is basically unauthorized. And then at this point, we have, of course, what Mike hinted at earlier in his introduction. We've got Captain Paolo Cassius. Otherwise coined by our friend Tony as, as Captain like, Pained Groan. Yeah, Captain Payne Groaned is rolled out in his hospital bed to meet Commandant Joaquin. And, you know, basically through Payne Grunts, he can only basically ask for repairs to White Base to be made. And he also says, you know, take care of the children. But, of course, me thinks Joaquin's version of taking care of these kids is not quite what Paolo Cassius has in mind. But he's like, don't worry about it. We'll totally take care of them. And he's like, take care of? He puts his index finger to his forehead no no man not like that you know like not like that one thing i wanted to point out is in the movie dub there there is not a whole lot of reference to this particular episode but they do arrive at luna 2 in the movie and they they sort of have the confrontation like that we're talking about before where the refugees are there and stuff like that but it's almost like completely opposite. I know we're talking about like different interpretations, but it's it's almost like Bright, instead of saying like, we need you to take these refugees and him saying, no, we can't take these refugees. The, the way it comes across in the movie dub is Bright's like, can we please have some experienced engineers, sir? And Joaquin's like, nope, nope, I'm sorry. We can't have you get any experienced engineers, but your orders are to go to Jabiro. So all the refugees have to go to Jabiro. And it's like, and then basically, like at that point, I think the movie dub just cuts to the sequence where it's like, well, they're on their way and war is really tragic and let's shed a tear for the white base crew. And it's like everything else, like including... Uh, what's going to eventually the fate that will eventually befall Paolo Cassius like all that is pretty much skipped over in the movie so the last time you see Captain Grunty Grunt in in the movie is this scene where he basically is like don't worry sir we'll get you patched up take him to sick bay and then like you never see him ever again I'd expect like that the movie dub bright to like you know be like could we please get some tea and crumpets like <laughs> Federation guys like I'm sorry tea and crumpets are denied it's like god damn it 
Bloody hell! We can't get anything. Excuse me, Commander Bokane. We need some experienced engineers to supervise our crew. We can't make it to Jabrow, otherwise we'd have a bunch of civilian amateurs running our ship. And Sailor's like, I think you're too familiar with the tea and crumpets, sir. It's like, what? Back, back to the overarching plot here. Bright is trying to warn Joaquin about the Musai cruiser that's following him, and he's basically saying, look, you know, Char's coming, the Red Comet's not going to give up so easily, and he's saying, look, it's unwise to just deactivate the Gundam, and Joaquin basically is one of these kind of Larry generals where basically he pretty much writes off Bright, and he wants to do his own thing, which is basically, he, he's kind of convinced that Luna 2 is so fortified, and that kind of experienced soldier like Char would not even risk bringing his Musai cruiser into combat with Luna 2. But meanwhile, Char's Musai cruiser is actually already observing Luna 2 from the safety of a dense Minovsky particle field, which hides them from the radar. And Char makes a comment about the advances in technology bringing the fighting back to sort of a face-to-face -face nature of, of the old days. And, you know, Denim, his right-hand man, is basically eager to attack. He's kind of like... Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Yeah, I was gonna mention that. Like, man, he's insistent. He's like, do we attack now? Uh, no. Now? Uh, no. I was like, I remain at, at service. Like, you know, Char. <laughs> you know, Char's kind of like, look, it'll be ready when it's ready. You know, like, he's like, oh, we'll attack when we're ready. Attacking is on my list. Like. <laughs> <laughs> In the midst of all this, Char is pondering if the woman known as Sela Mass is really his sister Artesia, and there's some filler flashback that basically replays their first meeting on this series, and like he he basically comes to the conclusion, he, he kind of finalizes in his own head, he's like, that couldn't have been Artesia because she was too strong, and he doesn't ever remember his sister having a backbone like that, so he, he again sort of brushes the thought out of his head and decides it can't be his sister. And then Char basically announces to all his soldiers that they are going to approach Luna 2, but not using the Musai cruiser. They're only going to use commando suits. So basically it's like they're the normal suits so they can fly through space, but they've got the little rocket packs on their back and everything like that. And he kind of lets them know their objectives you know the first objective is let's get this gundam mobile suit and the objective two if we can we're going to capture this new ship the white base and he says if the Xeon can't do either of those things you know basically if we can't have them no one can and he gives orders to destroy them if they can't capture them for the Xeon cause. And then at this point, like, the white base gang, I guess is what I'm going to call them, you know, the Scooby gang, are basically, they're, they're brought rations, but they're sort of under house arrest. And, like, there's this kind of discussion about, you know, should we be eating at a time like this? And ultimately, they kind of decide, look, we should eat while the eating's good, because, you know, like, there, there's kind of, like, this discussion about, you know, basically, you know, it's like fueling up your your mobile suit with, you know, energy. You know, it's like you can't go into battle on an empty stomach. I thought it was funny that Ryu was the one who was like, let's see. I was like, look at him. Like, obviously, you know what he's talking about. <laughs> I thought that you know, too, yeah. 
Yeah, uh, reuse the guy who's like, yeah, might as well eat up and stuff. And and even Kai says something like similar to that. But y- you know what I thought was interesting, and I-, I thought I'd ask you guys about it. Like, how did you interpret what Kai says to Amuro? Because he basically says something to the effect of, yeah, we might as well eat. And he says something to the effect of, it's better than you know, running away or whatever, and it's like, you, or like, you need to be, you know, it's like, we better eat while we can, because we don't know when we'll be running away next, or something like that, and, like, I sort of, in the in the English dub, I sort of interpreted it as, like, almost like he was talking about himself, like, like I better eat up, because I don't know the next time I'm going to bail on you losers, and Amuro kind of gets mad, and, and looks like he's going to, you know, again get physical or something like that but like in the japanese language i kind of felt more like he was talking about like amuro and bright and those guys like basically like they'd been on the run from char this whole time so it was almost like a flippant kind of careless unconscious comment where he's just like yeah we better eat while we can because we don't know the next time we'll be on the run because these losers over here keep making us run from place to place you know but i was curious what you guys thought about that i just figured it was kai being kai and he was like talking about himself really yeah i mean everything kai says is kind of like in an asshole tone in the dub (laughs) so it's kind of hard to tell no, no, I agree. I mean, I definitely, in the dub, I definitely took it that way. I know, but... In the meantime, might as well hmm? chow down while we can. You gotta eat whenever you get the chance, because you need your strength to be clear-headed when it's time to go into battle, and know when it's time to run. I think Kai's got a point there, don't you, Amaro? Eating is no different than loading your gun. You need lots of ammo. You gotta load up or you're gonna be useless. So, at this point... Char and his troops, there's about nine of them, they're approaching Luna 2 in the rocket packs and normal suits and these these commando outfits. And the one thing I thought was interesting that I noticed right away, because I'm, I'm watching these new right stuff, you know, Bandai Blu-rays or whatever, and in the English dub, they're using a soundtrack that's i guess more common or whatever but actually what's funny is when i listened to the japanese language track it was actually a completely different set of background music so i thought that was kind of interesting that's weird yeah 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 i mean it's not it's not quite the same so i and and i i I sort of recognized it right away because i i sort of when we're going through this now i kind of like to you know space it out a little bit but i do watch you know, the different versions and everything, because I figure, what the hell? And and when I was watching the Japanese-language one, I mean, normally it's fairly similar. I mean, you might get different intonations from the actors and stuff like that, but, I mean, relatively, the the inference and, and what they intend is, you know, virtually it's the same thing, but I did kind of find it interesting that I was like, well, wait a minute, that doesn't sound familiar to me. Like, to be perfectly honest, it didn't sound familiar to anything I had heard on, like, any original soundtrack either so i'm kind of curious like it just seemed like a totally different score or whatever but at this point they actually like snipe two federation guards that are outside the base in their normal suits and char and his men breach the hangar bay but there's like this infrared security system all mission impossible style on the inside and he basically instructs his men to deploy mines but not to trigger any of the alarms. Meanwhile, Amuro 
is it's kind of like he's training the white face crew or, or explaining the difference between a Zaku and a Gundam. And it's funny because he's using like the the ration trays, these like cafeteria style trays. And like I guess there's some kind of like weird purple blue gunk that they're eating or whatever. And he's kind of like using the fork to make diagrams and stuff. And he basically explains that the Gundam has a self-learning system and that's why it's superior to the Xeon Zaku mobile suit. Kai has this really like long and labored like repetition of what Amuro just explained where he's like, you know, are you telling me that the computer is a self-learning computer that learns what, and then computes what it learned and then, you know, because it learns it? Like, <laughs> Amuro's like, yes, yes it is. I, I think that, like, I kind of think that was kind of like, I don't know, of its time, kind of, because I'm kind of like, aren't all computers like that? Like, you you can't tell me, like, you know, the, the Zakus don't have some kind of computers in them or something. Like, you know, nowadays, like, cars have computers in them, so. Yeah. Yeah, I guess, I guess given what we know, like, it, 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 as much as Amuro is trying to be an authority on the matter, he's clearly wrong. Like, I mean, you know, even Ryu's kind of like, well, I guess you had something to do with it too, buddy. And he slaps him on the back. And it's kind of like, that's that's kind of more true than any of them realize at the moment. You know, they don't really know about new types at this point. And he, he's basically giving all the credit to the technology rather than himself. Then Ryu's like, ha ha, let's eat. <laughs> and they're like, didn't we just eat? Yeah. He's like, give me some of that blue stuff you were making diagrams in. Yum, yum. You mean it actually learns stuff when it's fighting? So what you're saying is that the more it fights, the better it gets in combat because it remembers what it did and becomes even smarter? That's right. So while they're all locked up and stuff, these mines go off, and then the base goes to red alert, and the artificial gravity is cut off, and Amuro already knows, he's already got a sense that this is Char at work, and of course, Joaquin sitting there dumbfounded, he's, you know super arrogant and can't really figure out how this all went down under his nose and Joaquin then plays right into Char's hands he orders the ship the Magellan to be deployed and then show we go to the title card break and then show we come back from the title card break <laughs> and Bright is basically pounding on the prison door and the power ends up being disabled and so then the locked doors are able to be opened and the the men are looking for their lady compatriots and of course they find them next door and even Frau Bo who is basically treated as a civilian and not a military personnel that was under house arrest knows that this attack is commencing and he's questioning the the men of Joaquin on why the civilians aren't being moved out of the attack area. And of course, the little girl Kika sees Amuro around the corner, and Amuro smiles and kind of winks at her, and then she winks back and gets the idea, and she literally stubs the toe of one of the guards <laughs> so she could distract him. And the person's like, you little fucking shit. Yeah, like, seriously, yeah. talk about, like, overreaction. The guard's, like, pointing a gun at her and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, of course, at this point, Bright and Amuro do a pair of gravity rider kicks on the guards <laughs> and take them out quickly. And Bright orders Amuro to free the Gundam, and then him and the others are going to take White Base out of Luna 2. Before they do that, Bright, like, interrogates one of those guards. He's like, where are the tea and crumpets? I know you've got them, 
<laughs> Tell me where the tea and crumpets are, you son of a bitch. <laughs> I know Joaquin was holding out. So the, the Magellan launching, of course, is all according to Char's plan. And then he and his men take leave of Luna too. And all these mines that they've planted are basically along the hangar launch bay. And when the Magellan is slowly flying through, they set off all the mines once it's in position, and they basically cripple the ship, and now they're blocking the hangar bay, so now nobody can get out. So basically the white base and the Gundam are stranded there. But of course, Bright, being Bright, is not deterred. He's going to launch the white base, and he says they'll improvise. And of course, meanwhile, Bright's like, where the hell's the Gundam? Where's my Gundam? And of course, Kai's like whining in the background, like, we just started. Like, give us more time. It'll be ready when it's ready. You know, like, so that's going on in the background. Joaquin and his men actually leave the Magellan in a little smaller shuttle, and they end up docking on White Base. Bright is facing down Joaquin as Amuro and Kai release the Gundam from its tie downs. And at this point, there's a pretty decent face-off between Bright and Joaquin, and Bright kind of verbally backhands him. He doesn't quite do the Bright slap in person, but he kind of Bright slaps him verbally and says, look, you need to decide if your enemy is us or the fucking Zeon, dude, because you're holding our shit up, basically. And, of course, at this point, Joaquin is all indignant, and he's like, how dare you? And he's bringing up, like, the chain of command and stuff, and right on cue, Mirai puts Captain Palo Cassius on the monitor to totally squash the whole chain of command thing, because it's like, oh, you want to talk about chain of command? Here's the fucking commander, and now he's going to tell you to do what we want to fucking do. So he squashes that, and Palo Cassius, uh, did I say it backwards? Palo Cassius. Palo Cassius. Just call him <laughs> Captain. Captain. <laughs> Yeah, basically, Captain takes responsibility, and he urges Joaquin to support the white base and its crew. And, of course, this is interesting because in in a lot of the background, it doesn't really state it outright here in this particular episode, but it seems like Paolo Cassius was one of Joaquin's instructors at the Federation Academy. So I think they do have a stronger connection than anybody realizes, and he probably was. I mean, I know, I know, like we were saying, it, you could look at it one-dimensionally and kind of decide, oh, this is just another Federation jerk face. But I think there's a little more going on here with him, and, and he does have some respect for his, you know, chain of command, and, he, you know, when Paolo Cassius gives the order, you know, he obeys it, and, and he sort of respects that. So, at that point, you know, they have a salute between the two of them, and he agrees to support the white base crew. Amuro then ends up launching in Gundam, and Char and his men are rocketing in with their Zakus, and the Gundam shoots off its bazooka, but Char fires back, and Amuro brings up the Gundam's shield to block the shell fire, Char's axe is striking, and Amuro's shield blocks it, but Char ends up destroying his bazooka in close quarter combat. Amuro is returning fire with his Vulcans and attacks with his beam saber. The other Zakus are trying to fire on Amuro as well, but he's blocking using the Gundam shield, and then Ryu comes in all Han Solo style to drive off Char's wingman using the core fighter, and then the white base moves in, and it's still trying to leave the hangar bay, and it 
basically is going to destroy the Magellan so that they can actually exit out of the hangar bay. Joaquin, of course, agrees to this because he's already made the deal with Palo Cassius, and they ready the main gun. There's a huge, giant blast that destroys the Magellan, and it kind of reminded me of the wave motion gun from Space Battleship Yamato or Star Blazers. You know, it's kind of like their big mega cannon, basically. And even when destroying the Magellan, that blast is so large that it takes out some of the Zaku's outside that are part of Char's crew. And Bright is warning Amuro to get the hell out of the way of that cannon. Yeah, you, you, even even Char's like, oh! <laughs> yeah. And it, this, I mean, I, I think we'll get into this when we talk about, you know, how we felt about the episode in particular, but th this is sort of evidence of maybe some of my criticism of the episode, but he and, and Amuro and Char are continuing to fight in the, the Gundam and the Zaku, and there's this kind of abrupt cutaway, and it's like, you know, it's like they left out the scene where Doctor Doom's like, I must flee, or whatever, and he runs away because... Like, you get the idea, it's like, they're, they're sort of fighting, and then the next clip, it's just like, that jar, you know, and you're like, you don't know exactly what happened, but you assume he sort of skedaddled out of there, basically. And then the episode kind of ends on a sad note, because, you know, although, you know, Bright and Joaquin are really pleased that they've succeeded, they all kind of turn around and notice as they're cheering and, and telling the captain about you know, all the good stuff that's gone on, they all sort of become aware that Palo Cassius has finally faded away, even among their sort of glorious exit from the Luna 2 hangar bay. So, you know, at that point, the White Base crew give Captain Cassius the Mr. Spock send-off, they stick him in a tube and shoot him out into space, and at that point, the episode ends with Amuro wondering to himself, you know, just where his dad is at this point. Bright was like, of all the souls I have encountered, his was the most groany. <laughs> it's like, of all the souls I've encountered, his was the most... Uh, 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 uh. <laughs> I, I was going to say, like, it, it seems kind of odd that the episode just ends with Amro was like, where's my dad? I was like, well, wait, what? Like, that's what he's yeah, thinking? Yeah, that kind of came out of nowhere, yeah. I, I don't know about that, because he, he doesn't really know what his dad's status is, and he's seen somebody who conceivably is in his dad's age range and, and position, maybe, also die. So he's it, it, it's like one of those things where like maybe you're of a certain age and you don't have a lot of experience with death. I mean, obviously, we talked about in the first episode how all these people, whether it's Amaro or Frau Bo, are seeing people they love die for the first time, and it's nothing they've ever experienced. And I think maybe just by sort of being in the presence of a high-ranking captain who has passed away and kind of that, that notion dawning on you, like, oh, shit, you mean, like, adults can die even if they're, like, really important? You know, like that that kind of notion, and maybe that's finally like he's and and of course nobody's trying to kill him. You know, Shar's not attacking the Zionar and attacking, and it's finally dawning on him like Jesus, like where the hell's my dad? Like he was on side seven, and I haven't seen him since. So yeah, I, I, I could see that. Yeah, you know, I I didn't think that was that that off. I mean, that's kind of how I'd rationalize it. I I would like to bring up. 
I mean, I know there's some controversy over, you know, certain episode where Tomino didn't want North America to see it. And some of the reasoning is that the animation isn't quite up to his standards. But I, I did feel like, especially watching the Blu-ray on this, that the animation in this episode was not particularly that great either. And, and that's kind of why I brought up the whole, you know, I must flee, you know, thing with Char because it's like I don't even really... It, it's not that I can't summarize what happened or read between the lines and figure it out, but it clearly wasn't exactly on camera, you know, like so. And, and, and a lot of the animation in it just seemed poor, I guess, is the best, you know, the nicest way to put it. Like, I mean, there's there's nothing wrong with the episode per se. I mean, I enjoyed seeing the the characters, you know, have confrontations. And, and of course, you know, you, you sort of have to explain what happens to Paolo Cassius. And, you know, he, he got a decent send off per se. I mean, I know he was kind of groaning the whole time, but it's, I don't know, you kind of feel relieved that he's, you know, finally put out of his misery basically. And, and we follow the rest of the white base crew and stuff, but the, the actual animation and fights and things like that were seemed to be, I don't know if they're stock or, or if it just wasn't, wasn't quite as animated as well you know like it seemed like th this had a lot of the tropes that i see people criticize anime for in particular where there were lots of still frames and not a lot of movement on the screen and seeing it on like a high def tv on a blu-ray it was like super apparent you know yeah especially like that move where the Gundam like sort of pulled its second beam saber out and like flipped it around to stab the zaku behind it like that would that could have been a smooth move, but like it just looked really awkward with this studio's like animation. Like, and it's like the Zaku gets stabbed and then it like slides as one piece, like off frame. And then there's an explosion from like off frame and it just kind of, you know, washes over the still frames of like the Gundam and Char Zaku. Yeah, I, I tend to think that there's probably a reason why a lot of the animation from this particular episode didn't end up in the the movie version just because it wasn't as as good as the first couple episodes that we've seen yeah i, I think sometimes it's it's not always a good thing to see like old cartoons and blu-ray like high definition it's like you know it's like i i wouldn't really want to watch like the first season of simpsons on blu-ray because i think the animation like it looks pretty terrible compared to like today's standards so so i kind of get like what you're talking about with this episode of gundam is there anything like else that you guys want to talk about in terms of like the the storyline or you know anything that you thought was new or do you just sort of feel like this is sort of the same kind of situation where you've got Char you know charging after White Base or did did you feel like anybody had any standout moments or anything like that in particular whether it was like Frabo or Kika or, or any of the characters like that you saw them sort of stand up for themselves in certain life or death situations like justin said like i think this is the start of like you know the the federation are all like bureaucratic like no nothing assholes except with some like exceptions like you know but yeah it's like it, this is only the first of many times like some stuck-up federation official will get in their way and then they finally like you know convince them to do what's right or whatever so yeah, I can see that. That makes sense. I kind of wonder, like, how much, like, military experience Joaquin has, because, like, at least for, like, the United States military, like, commandant is not a rank. Like, it's it's a title. Like, it's an appointment. And usually a commandant is someone, like, in charge of, like, 
a training facility or like you know like the army war college or something like that so i like him being in charge of one or two like i kind of wonder like you know how much military experience he has in these things or like you know is he you know does he you know is is he like an experienced officer or is he really just kind of like doing exactly whatever he's told like he's just you know towing the line and going by the book you you also sort of wonder is is he believing his own hype with Luna 2? Is Luna 2 really that fortified? Yeah. I mean, Shard didn't bring the Musai on purpose, and that's probably because of what he said. So you would think that's sort of legitimate. But then at the same time, he obviously underestimates Shar. You know, like, he doesn't think of... Oh, it's weird. It's like, it's so fortified that a Musai cruiser can't stand up to it, but then they don't bother to fortify it against a commando team of, like, ten dudes. You know, like, like that's kind of interesting and, and kind of reveals sort of like the arrogance of, you know, certain higher ups where it's like, my, you know, basically the Titanic is unsinkable. And it's like, <laughs> OK, well, now you're fucking sinking. So it shows what you know, you know, like that kind of thing where you're like, you know, in Luna 2 is impenetrable. The Musai cruisers are fleeing terror. That's like, yeah, that may be true. But he, he was able to breach you with just a couple dudes. It kind of reminds me of like some World War One tactics where like you'd have like some kind of like huge, you know, headquarters facility set up and then it's like you know you can't possibly get through no man's land just like going over the trench so it's like what do you do it's like you know you burrow under it and then just like put as many explosives as you can in the tunnel and blow it up like that seems that, that seems at least in my mind kind of like what char did in this yeah. case yeah that makes total sense <laughs> do you think it's like Char, Char may be badass, but do you think part of it is because all the Federation are, like, incompetent idiots? <laughs> well, I mean, you know, I think it goes both ways, because there's, there's a lot of incompetent idiots in Xeon, too, and the fact that, you know, not, not to get into too many spoilers, but I think most people listening to this know where that whole storyline goes, and if you do, you know, obviously he he takes advantage of incompetence where he finds it, whether it's in the Federation camp or a Zeon camp, you know. So, I mean, there's there's plenty of arrogance and and kind of people with their heads up their asses to go around, you know, on this show. Well, my my final thought is, I think Captain Paulo and General Septum should talk to each other. <laughs> why? Why were they... What? What are you saying? Like, why? Why? Why did they not have a cameo on Build Fighters and like the bumper cars and like, shit? <laughs> <laughs> like they, bump, they bump into each other on the bumper cars and like General Captain Paulo is like, <laughs> General Seth was like, this man should not be driving a bumper car. <laughs> <laughs> all right you you got any final words justin or... no no all right so yes, we'll have if... to put your final words on the back burner <laughs> <laughs> think of the children Ooh. all right so if you've got any comments, questions, and or concerns, you can send them to fanholespodcast at gmail.com. We hope you've enjoyed listening to Fanholes Mobile Suit Mondays. Of course, we have plenty of spinoff shows such as Sentai Saturdays, Toku Thursdays, and Transformers Tuesdays. In addition to the Fanholes Proper podcast, we hope you check out all of our podcasts on the network if you've enjoyed this one. 
We are on all kinds of social media. We, of course, appreciate all the feedback and likes that we often receive on the social media. We're on Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, Instagram. So please check us out on those social media as well. We're on Podbean. We can be streamed on Stitcher Radio. And we are on iTunes. So we would appreciate any kind of good feedback you can leave us there. And until the next time, this is going to be Derek, Derek WC, signing off. It's Mike, and uh, remember to eat. Because eating is energy, and energy is eating. And the the computer self-learns to eat the energy and computes the learning energy to eat. This is Justin, and uh, when I die, I want someone to put me in a giant orange football and shoot me in the... You'd think that, like, you know, Joaquin, if Joaquin wanted to do what he wanted, he'd just, like, interpret, like, Paulo's, like, mumblings whatever way he wanted, you know? Like, he'd be like, what's that? Eject the children into space, Captain. I don't think we could do that. Yeah. Well, if you insist, you know. And, you know, Joaquin, I, I think in this point, like, he is one of the, the quote-unquote Larry generals, you know? Like, he, he kind of writes off right, doesn't acknowledge what he's telling him, and he decides, I'm going to do my own thing, because he, he seems to be... God damn, dog. <laughs> shut up. Shut up, dog. Shut, shut up. up, I will eat you. <laughs> <laughs> I will, I'll make you a pizza roll, <laughs> and not one for you to eat. Um, all right. <clears throat> You're like, shut up or I'll feed you to the refugees. <laughs> that other dog's like, I'm still outside seven. It's like some of those like old, that old man refugee is like licking his chops. Like, I haven't had dog in a while. <laughs> the fucking walking. I am sorry. According to the Federation, you are not allowed to have dog. Oh. Oh, <laughs>